right. Welcome to Spring Office Hours, episode 48, titled How to Learn Spring. My name is Dan Vega, Spring Developer Advocate at VMware. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by someone I get to call a friend, Ken Cousin. He is a Java champion, an author, instructor, and now full-time, part-time YouTuber, full-time in our hearts. And just an all-around great guy. Ken, how are you doing today? Oh, thank you. Doing great. Thank you very much. It's a it's actually an honor to be here. All right. We um well, I've I've said a few things about you, but just in case there's someone out there in the world of Java, Groovy, Gradle who doesn't know Ken Cousins, can you kind of intro yourself? Oh, uh well, I Basically, mostly my day job is teaching software development training classes in areas related to Java, which does include Spring, but also Groovy, Kotlin, Gradle, other related areas. I am a speaker on the No Fluff, Just Stuff conference tour, but I've spoken at other conferences as well. I've um, gotten the, the Java One Rockstar Award a few times. And let's see, I've written six books at this point uh, on Java, Groovy, Kotlin. Uh, the latest one that came out in February is called Makito Made Clear. It's a book on uh, how and why to use mock stubs and spies in the Makito testing framework, which of course comes with Spring. Yep, yep. Cool. Yeah, so I didn't do your intro justice. I, it's hard to collect all your accolades, Ken. Um, it, 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 you get old, you know. <laughs> things accumulate <laughs> they over They just time. start piling up, huh? <laughs> well, in a way, I mean, that sounds silly, but it, it is kind of like you just yep. stay active and engaged and things kind of accumulate. True, true. All right, cool. Um, we're going to we're gonna dive into a lot of those. Uh, I want to kind of, I said, you know, you and I have been friends for a while, but I don't know some mm. of your backstories. So I want to talk about oh. that. I want to dive into, you know, we're both content creators. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Cool. Again, the title for today's show is How to Learn Spring. You're an instructor. I want to get your kind of point of view on um, teaching, you know, teaching, in general, uh, obviously, teaching Spring and how to learn Spring will be uh, on you know something everyone here would be interested in. So, if you are joining us here on the live broadcast, uh, if you're not, uh, if you're listening to us on the podcast or in the audio version only, we do this every Tuesday at three thirty p.m. Um, you can go ahead and join us live. And if you are live with us, feel free to go ahead and put some questions in the chat. We will see if we can't answer them. If you have questions uh, about spring in general, uh, I have another uh, instructor with me. He could probably answer some as well. Um, if you have questions for Ken in general, uh, just go ahead and drop those as well. Before we get started, I want to just touch on something really quick. Uh, wow, I cannot believe we are getting here. We're so close. Uh, Spring One at VMware Explorer is next week, August 21st through the 24th. Next week. That's really crazy to say. We've been kind of prepping for this event for a while. Um, it's exciting. I'm leaving on Saturday. Uh, we have some prep stuff to do on Sunday, and then it starts. Spring One is day zero of VMware Explorer. Uh, we have a whole day of spring content on Monday and then spring content throughout VMware Explorer. So really looking forward to that. Just a reminder, you can still register for that. Um, I have uh, three sessions, three general sessions. I'll be talking about GraphQL. I'll be talking about uh, spring recipes with my friend Nate. And I'm also stepping in for a coworker, Jakob, who cannot make it. So I'll be presenting with Nate on uh, Spring for Architects. So 
Uh, it's going to be a busy week. Um, we're also um, doing a live show of Spring Office Hours next Tuesday at the conference at 3.30 Vegas time. We usually do it 3.30 EDT, but um, we're doing it 3.30 in Vegas time there. So uh, one more thing, we're also doing a 5K. Deshaun, are kind of host, Deshaun and I are hosting a 5K. So if you're at the conference and want to join us, anyone can join us. Uh, you can walk, you can run, you can sprint. However you want to do it, uh, it's a 5K, it's an out and back, so even if you want to just go a half mile, come back, you can join us Tuesday, August 22nd in front of the Venetian at 7 a.m. We're going to get that run in early so everybody can get back, cleaned up, and head down to the conference. So that is uh, Spring 1 at VMware Explorer. Could not be more excited and nervous, of course. I have a a lot of stuff to get ready for, so... Uh, nervous about that. Um, do you still get nervous about speaking, Ken, or is this just like uh, waking up now for you? It, it depends on the audience. If I'm in front of an audience that I've done many times, even if the people are different, like when I when I do a no fluff conferences, the the hotels are the same every year, the places mm-hmm. we speak are the same every year. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've gotten nervous for that. Although yeah. I'm never comfortable the first time I give a new talk. Yeah. Yep. But if it's, you have an idea of timing, but you're not exactly sure, right? And you don't know what they're going to ask. You know, that's always yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly like, hey, are you going to ask something I have no idea about? And I'm just going to have to go. Oh, I'll get back to you on it later. <laughs> oh yeah. Did you yeah. notice how how international our audience is? This is oh, great. They this are great. They're they're Egypt all Tunisia, over the place. Yeah, Brazil and. Um, oh, and Simon came, which is great. Do you know Simon, by the way? Simon is one of our most, uh, one of our best guests. He's here all the time. Simon is great, uh, always asking questions, helping out in the chat. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's great. It's so good to have all these people here. Um, yeah. No, I I get nervous in front of uh, really unusual audiences. You know, things yeah. where I haven't done it before, a conference yep. I've never been to before. But For in sure. general, yeah, it it kind of takes a, a lot of novelty to. Yeah, I I was talking with some family over the weekend, and, and I kind of said the same thing. Like, if you ask me to go in front of an audience and talk about something I'm passionate about and that I like and that I know that I'm knowledgeable about, like Spring or GraphQL or something like that, I'm not nervous at all. But if you ask me to go give a talk to 500 people on economics, that's something I don't care about. <laughs> even if you gave me a month to go prep for it, like, I'm not going to be comfortable talking about that because it's not something, like, I care about, right? Um, so yeah, I think, you know, uh, the, 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 the old saying is, uh, fail to prepare, you know, prepare to fail. Right. So <laughs> I'm always, I, I try to over prepare in situations. And then with that, I'm confident enough to be able to like talk. So, well, of course, then there's no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> but I mean, look at this, we've got Kenya, we've got Sweden, Georgia, India, I- Iran, Iran, India, yeah, great. Georgia, Fantastic. Kenya. Oh, awesome. I love it that we have such an. Yeah. Uh, well, you actually have such an international audience. No, I think we we as a spring uh, community. This is I'm just an extension yes. of it. So okay, okay. Um, but yeah, if you're here, ask your questions, please. We'd love to get to them. Uh, the idea, I don't know if you know this, Ken, but the idea behind Spring Office Hours was Deshaun and I always needed a, like, we wish we had this when we were kind of starting out or in the mm. middle of our development career where it was like, I have this question, but I, if I go ask it on Reddit, everybody's just going to laugh at me and tell me I'm an idiot. God. If I go ask it on Stack Overflow, somebody's going to answer it real quickly just to get some points and not really, you know, talk about how they got to that or 
or, you know, the story on like why that happened. Um, I, so this is really a place for people to just come ask questions and say, hey, I'm having trouble with this. Can you point me in the right direction? So, yeah, I had to do that last week, actually. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess Which I should part? tell you. Yeah. Well, I was working on a video on. Uh, the assumptions class in JUnit, you know, which is allows you to skip tests that violate the preconditions. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's built into Spring. And what I wanted to do, because my use case was, I didn't want to run tests to access remote RESTful web services if the site's down. You know, right, if the right. site isn't available, it doesn't exist. Yep. So what I wanted to do is do head requests. I wanted to send an HTTP head request yep. because pretty much any service that supports GET requests will also support a head request. Yep. And I knew how to do it with the REST template and with the web client, you know, because the web yep. client's actually got a head method in it. Even web test yep. client had a head yep. method in it. And then I was playing with the, the, the new... Let's see, assumptions, aren't they still in Jupyter? Was that about JUnit 4? They were, an early form of them was in JUnit 4. Now they are a big deal in JUnit 5. So it's it's right. very similar, but I use them in JUnit 5, definitely. Cool. Um, what I wanted to do, I wanted to do the REST client, by the way, the brand new one the that's new coming one. in, yeah, in yeah. 6.1. That yeah. took me a little bit of doing, getting the right dependency in there to get the, the client in there. But I found that yep. one. Yep. The one I was struggling with is the good old, the new HTTP interfaces. Which is strange because if you're using the new snapshot version, uh, that the that would be using the new REST client underneath the hood if you're using a Spring MVC app. So oh, I didn't it know will that. use the new REST client underneath the hood. So I used, um, I used the HTTP interface and they have annotations for get, post, put, delete. Yep. You know, but they don't have one for head. for head. So there's no head exchange, like there's get exchange or post exchange or put mm-hmm. exchange. So I kind of But there is an HTTP exchange. So there's like a top level one. I should have asked you. <laughs> I, I <laughs> so, was using the HTTP exchange on the interface itself so right. that I could set the URL. Yep, yep, yep. But I didn't set the method on that. Right, and right. That's what happened. Is I, I I read somewhere or I saw in some um, video that if you do a get exchange with a response entity of type void, then that'll do a head response because there's no body. Huh. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So I tried it, and yeah, it didn't work like that okay. at all. Yeah, I was gonna say that sounds weird. <laughs> so I finally sent an email to Craig Walls, who's oh, well, the author. There you, you go, know, Craig. Yeah. He's the yeah, author yeah. of Spring in Action and everything, yeah. and he sent back. A total duh. He didn't say duh, but he was nice enough to say, you know, <laughs> HTTP exchange has method equals and it just put head in there. And yeah, yep, you know. there you go. Yeah, you could think of HTTP exchange kind of like the request mapping in like this, you know, in, in your controller, right? Request mapping is a top level, but get, yeah. post, put, delete, those are kind of like child annotations, right? Just like those are on the mappings, this is on exchange, the same exactly. idea. Yeah, yeah, it's just, that's why I was like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. But, you know, uh, it was very helpful when when uh, Craig came up with that, but I'm sure you would have told me the same thing. I would have I would have just taken a guess. So uh, <laughs> that would be my. I guess. mean, it solved the problem, and uh, I realized I put out a video where I I accessed a remote web service five different ways because I also use the built-in HTTP client. You know, the yep. Java 11. Yep. And it was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to relabel that video as you know, accessing remote web services from Spring Boot, because that's really right. what it was. You know? Yeah, yeah, there are so many options now. Um, I'm I'm really excited about the REST client, because 
I, I, I always felt like, I mean, it's not a big deal, but like I, I never liked bringing in the reactive stack just for the web client. Cause now yes. I have whole stacks in there and I know there's a way to like exclude dependencies and stuff, but like it's no, just a pain in I, the butt. So. I love the, I, and I was a rest template fan forever yeah. because most of the services I accessed didn't take a long time. They either return immediately or not at all. And right. therefore why am I introducing flux and mono just so I could. Right. You know. Right. But, but the one thing I do have against rest template is I never know what, like method to use. There's so many overloaded methods and, 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 and it always starts out as like an easy use case. Just get me like this one customer back. Right. But then like you need to support like a list of customers and then like you got to, there, there's, there's a whole bunch of like hoops you start to have to jump through as things get more complicated and yeah. And then you have to use this. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of fun. So but the bottom line is I should have contacted you, but <laughs> I knew you were busy preparing for spring one. So yeah, know. no, no, you, you can always, you can always reach out to me. So, well, I usually contact you to ask you YouTube related questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause so, someday uh, I hope to have a 10th of the user base that you have. You will, you will. So, I want to start there. Let's start with oh, YouTube. All right. Um, so how long have you been doing YouTube now? Well, I started the YouTube channel back at the beginning of January. The channel's called Tales from the Jar Side. Uh, and I had the idea was is I have a I have a newsletter of the same name yep. posted on Substack. And I've been writing the newsletter for just about four years. Every wow. week. It comes out every wow. Sunday. And my son, of course, is of the generation where, you know, he doesn't read, and but he does spend hours watching videos and Twitch and things like that. And I finally went, well, you know, maybe if I turn the, you know, the, the, the original theme of the video channel was, okay, you don't have time or not interested in reading my newsletter, that's fine, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll read it to you. Yeah. So every... Sunday, the newsletter comes out, and every Monday, I make a recording where I basically am doing kind of a director's cut. You know, okay, this, yeah. is, this is about, here's the pictures, I'll do a demo for you, and read the newsletter. And then the rest of the week, I'll try to do uh, an extra technical video on something interesting, Gradle, Spring, you know, Java, whatever it might be. Right. And it's been running since, as I say, basically, I guess not quite eight months, seven and a half months, something like that. That's awesome. Um, so I want to I want to unpack a couple things there. One, sure. I did not realize you've been doing the newsletter for four years. Yeah, neither did um, I. <laughs> I. I think I think I've I've been a subscriber for probably a year and a half or two years, maybe uh, maybe a year and a half. I I told you before the show started. One thing I really appreciate about the newsletter is that it is like clockwork. Every Sunday, I get the email that you put one out. <laughs> I go through it and I read it. And I'm like, wow, this is not just like Ken saying like a two paragraphs of what he did this week, like you are very detailed with this newsletter. So I, I, I want to talk about that before we get into YouTube, which is like, how do you put this together every week? Do you just do it on Sunday? Is it something you build throughout the week? And do you like, do you, do you have some kind of format that you want to stick to every week of how you build this thing? Well, I think about it all week long as I'm mm -hmm. accumulating topics because yep. it generally is divided into three parts. There's some, and sometimes it doesn't have those parts. You know, there's generally a part that's on something I was doing technically during the week. Yep. And then there's a part on something that's unrelated to technical stuff that I just feel like commenting on that went on nice. in the world or the tech, yep. the IT world. Usually and Elon the, Musk is in there. Oh, God. <laughs> and then there's the section which I used to call 
tweets and toots, and now I call toots and skeets. Because nice. I mean that that's one thing. By the way, is the only downside of being on this podcast is that, or screencast. You made me come back to Twitter just to get the invite and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Excellent. So there's that's the funny stuff I accumulate at the end. So basically, yeah. the way the newsletter comes together is. I just go, well, what did I do this week? I mean, it's a company newsletter for a one-person company. So yeah, what did I yeah. do? And I just start writing about it, and then it, the rest of it just kind of flows. Yeah. Uh, if I'm lucky, I start it like Friday or Saturday. Yeah, if I'm that's not where lucky, I am. And, and this week I was not lucky. I was just so busy that I didn't yeah. even get a chance to start it until Sunday. And then it's just I just keep cranking until it's done. Do you – Obviously, you enjoy doing it because you wouldn't oh, yeah. keep doing it for four years if unless. And I'm it's guessing, free, by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say it's free. You probably don't make money off of it, but no. I mean, it does help like push people to other things that you're doing. But um, you obviously enjoy it. Do you do you like get any anxiety over like oh my god I gotta get the next week's newsletter out because I love writing too, but I'm always like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to like, I have to struggle to get this one out this week. Does that ever come across? Um, oh yeah. Uh, at <laughs> first, when I first got the idea, I said to my wife, you know, what happens? I'm a little nervous about doing this because what happens if I come up with a week and I don't have anything to say? Yeah. And I think she's still laughing. <laughs> Uh, like you so, always have something to say. Ken. Well, that's the thing. It's like, okay, well, what did I do this week? That's really right. what it comes down to. What did I get right. involved in? And it's it's not like I sat around and did nothing because even if I did nothing, I was still scrolling on social media. I was right, still right. aware of what's going on in worlds like spring and stuff. So right. there's really something to talk about. Uh, and if if there isn't anything to talk about, I do talk about you know, some of my backstory, the things that I've been doing for a long time, yeah. uh, you know, my history and it's just stories from all of that time. And it's awesome. just amazing how quickly the the space limit, I, I bang up against the space limit on Substack every week. So <laughs> crazy like that. Cool. So the, the newsletters kind of started the YouTube channel and then uh, you were just kind of doing like a video version of the newsletter. Have you ever considered kind of exporting that out as like a podcast? Um, yeah, I kind of have to probably talk to you about that. I I just have to figure out what the right mechanism is. The problem is, is that when I do the video of the newsletter, uh -huh. it's kind of visual because I keep putting in comments. It's almost like yeah. I'm having a dialogue with myself where yeah. I make sarcastic comments and other point out other features and look up things. And then I have, you know, pictures and things like that in there. So I don't yeah. really know how well that'll translate to audio only. Yep. But I am tempted and I'll wait and, and I'll see how you, how you do it. And, and, you know, again, you've been my guide in a lot of this stuff, whether you meant to be or not. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, yeah, I mean, that that was one of the biggest things with Spring Off Stars. We, we used to do a lot of, like, uh, demos on the show and, like, write code. And I, I thought the same thing. Like, how is this going to translate to a podcast? And you just have to be cognizant of those things. I, my, my advice to you and everybody else with these things is 
just do it. Don't overthink yourself. Mm. Don't try and like wait for the perfect time to do something. Just do it. And you'll find out like, hey, the first episode didn't go that great. Like, let, what, do I, what do I need to fix with this? And just iterate on that. Um, because I find that trying to like get perfect on anything always stops you from just doing it. So my advice, just do it. And yeah, we I have to be cognizant. Anytime we're like showing the screen, I'm like, hey, for everyone out there in the podcast land, when you get out of your car, come back and, and watch the video version over on YouTube. So yeah, I would say just keep pointing and it's a good way to point people to both mediums, right? Like uh, somebody might be joining us right now in the live stream, but next week they might be in a car somewhere. It's like, hey, there's an audio version of this as well. Another related topic is to point out that it's never too late, that it doesn't matter uh, if you think, oh, I missed the opportunity or I don't know if I can do this or I'm getting too old for this. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I like to mention occasionally uh, all the books I've written. Um, I didn't write my first one until I was past age fifty, and wow. in this in IT, you know that's that's yeah. getting up there. So it's never too late. I mean, or at least the age is not the issue. It's yeah. there may be other issues, but yeah, just go ahead and take take the plunge. Yeah, and everybody always says, well, like, how do you write a book on Java? There's fifty books on Java out there, and I always go back to the grocery store, like walking down the aisle. There is a whole aisle of water. They're just branded different and, and yet somehow all of them sell. So, you know, there are, uh, you know, I always come back to, to that there are no unique messages, only unique messengers. So you tell a, a story much different than I would tell a story. So that's um, slick. I like that one. Okay. Yeah. So definitely uh, I agree with that. Um, okay. So, so you're, you're on YouTube. We just mm -hmm. talked before. You had four five hundred and forty nine subscribers now. Something like that. Probably yeah. like uh, by the time people are listening to us on the podcast, Ken's going to be well over a thousand. So let's. If you're <laughs> yeah. out there, if you're out there, please head over to YouTube, find Ken Cousin, uh, and I, go ahead and subscribe to his channel. I put the link in the chat for what it's worth in Perfect. there. Perfect. Uh, I so like that subscribe. question, by the way. Did you see that question that said, "What do you think about Spring using languages like Kotlin or Groovy?" Uh, I loved Groovy for years. I, I still like it. It's just yeah. that it's clear that its moment has kind of passed. It's not like it'll go away. And right. uh, but I was a big fan of Groovy Same. before Spring was big, you know. And yep. uh, I've used Groovy with Spring a lot. Spring's always been very friendly to these alternative JVM languages. Yep. But now, of course, the rise in Kotlin, especially where you get to use coroutines as an alternative to reactive, is very interesting. I'm still waiting for it to kind of break out because right now Kotlin is still dominated by the Android people. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. the dominant language there. But yeah. Spring is very comfortable with Kotlin and they have a bunch of built-in DSLs as well, domain-specific languages written in Kotlin yep. for a lot of features that work well with it. Yep. I still have my hopes that uh, Kotlin will become a bigger percentage of the of the Spring ecosystem. We'll see. Cool. Yeah. Great answer. Um, so you're doing the video version of the podcast and then ah. you're putting out another video, like you said, on some other topic. I try. Maybe things that you're working on like during the week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's always the plan, but plans change quickly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess like from a content creation process, like how ah. do you pick your next video? Like what's next? Like, do you have a list somewhere of like topic ideas that you want to work on? How do you kind of come up with that? Well, I'm not doing it the right way, which would be to do a bunch of, you know, beginner 
courses where I build everything up and, and try to make all connected videos and all that kind of stuff, which I probably should do. But I have a lot of that already on the O'Reilly platform, the O'Reilly yeah. Learning platform. So I have a bunch yeah. of videos there that were recorded in a studio and all of that. So instead, it tends to be stuff that strikes me as interesting that I just in my courses, I notice that a lot of people are don't really understand or know about yeah. like I made a whole video on talking about the functional interfaces in JUnit. It's not just uh, executable. There's also like throwing supplier. It's like, what the heck is that doing there? And <laughs> and I made a video about, OK, that's what these are all about. So it's generally driven by what I happen to run across that I thought, you know, I've been telling this story in classes for years. Yeah let's turn it into a video. And I expect yep. I, I'm always worried I'm going to run out of those. You know? uh, yeah. I, I, I keep a list of like ideas that I want to turn into videos. And that mm -hmm. list is uh, the same as my learning list. Like a mile yeah. long, I'm probably never going to run out. It's always, but, but I'm never going to get to a lot of them because there's always something new I want to work on. Right. Um, and, and like I was in a class and we were trying to do uh Java preview features, those yeah. latest features in Java, yeah. and somebody was trying to use Eclipse on the uh -huh. GitHub repository where I was using some preview features. Uh -huh. And I couldn't believe how many hoops you had to jump through to make Eclipse bend to that. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm going to forget all this. So I made a video out of it, you know, <laughs> so that's that good. some people who run into that problem could do it. So uh, that's usually a source of it. But you're absolutely right. There's just so many topics out there that would be good to address. Yeah. So uh, another thing I'm curious about, because I always struggle with this too, is um, you get a bunch of questions. So you maybe have questions in class. You have things that you're interested in. So mm -hmm. um, you're interested in JUnit, Makito lately. But then you also have like the YouTube algorithm. Like, hey, yeah. these are the popular videos that people are looking for. Oh, How do you yeah. decide between those topics, like which one to choose? Well, I went for – because, you know, once you start doing this YouTube stuff, there's all these <laughs> – companies that want you to subscribe to them that'll do great keyword research and right. and really recommend all this and help you optimize and on and on. Yeah. And I succumbed to one of them. I, I went with like TubeBuddy, I think was one of them. Yeah, TubeBuddy's great. And I looked at another one called Morning Fame. Have you seen that one? I've heard of it. Yeah. 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 And it was so depressing because <laughs> everything I want to write videos about, it kind of yeah. goes... Yeah, that, that's not even the top thousand. You, why do you want yeah. to do that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yep. I'm like, you don't know the people I know. And besides, this is the interesting stuff to me. I want to talk yep. about this. And yep. I've been trying over and over again to keep telling myself it doesn't matter if it's one person and it helps that one person. That's what really helps. You know, that's what yep. matters. Yeah. But it's really hard. Uh, you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle yeah, to to not jump on the what do they call actually I made a video directly related to you. There's something called uh what's it called? Uh it wasn't called clickjacking, but it, the idea was oh yeah, yeah. figure uh, out what a popular video's keywords were. Right, right. And make something close enough to that so that you'll be a recommended video when right, somebody right. else watches theirs. So right. you did that video on, I forget what exactly, I think it was the HTTP maybe, interfaces. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah. yeah, and I made one that actually put you on the freaking cover, you know, <laughs> in the thumbnail. <laughs> and said, yeah, this is a response to Dan Vega, and I just kind of yeah, went yeah. off on a complete tangent. Uh, yeah. But I got to admit, half the reason I made that is I knew you'd laugh. 
<laughs> yeah, that was really good. And and the mentions, I appreciated the mentions in the newsletter too. Oh but yeah, exactly. it's always a struggle because like I I always I. I mean, I, I do this to help people, but you if you tell yourself that, then the way to help people is to get more people in front of a video, right? So there is, there's a fine line there. I always come back to one for them, one for me. So I put a oh. list together and I go, this is the one I want to make. I don't care if it gets 10 views. I mean, it never does, but like that that's the one I want to make. This is the one the algorithm wants me to make, so I'm going to go ahead and try and make this one. The problem <laughs> is, is a lot of that's not as predictable as I thought. Yeah. I mean, some of the not. ones I didn't expect to do well, do a lot better. True. Yep. Yep. It is. Uh, yeah. I haven't figured it out yet. And I've way, read every book and used every tool. So. All right. Then we have to talk again. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was looking at the one below that, the one on oh, Grawl sorry. came in uh, that question from uh, Silvio. That's right below that. All right. Uh, so the question is, I don't know anything Grawl? about, uh, yeah. Grawl native or something similar be dominant. Right. Um, you notice that there's there's actually two approaches there that are yep. becoming popular. Yep. I mean, Grawl Native, the native image tool inside of the Grawl virtual machine is definitely making an impact, especially because Spring Boot, especially in 3.1, made it so straightforward to try that. I still haven't figured out how to create the settings to make it ignore certain classes and stuff mm -hmm. you know yep. i'm sure you know all about that yep we can we can sit down one day and go through that yeah i'll have to talk to you about that but anyway that's really hot right now the one that's the up and comer the alternative is the what's it called crack right yeah. <laughs> Co coordinated restore at checkpoint that's the one and it's basically if i understand it correctly and that's who knows it's basically keeping the JVM warm. You know, it's like, okay, we're halfway here. We're, we're, we're going to stay there. And then when the request comes in, we'll go the rest of the way. And then we'll just go back to our previous, you know, ready, ready for the next request mechanism. Right. And Instead of having would, to bring up the entire VM environment, it brings it up once and takes a snapshot of that and says, Hey, here, instead of the, the cold start, Here's where we're going to start. We're going to start warm and then, as you said, just kind of continue from there. So Yeah, yeah and it'll be interesting to watch over, I'm guessing, the next year maybe to see the two of them fight it out. Because the problem with native image is while it's very effective, you're going against the fundamental philosophy of Java. The whole right once run anywhere is gone you really are compiling for a particular environment and you can only deploy to that environment. And, and the build times are orders of magnitude bigger because you really have to compile it down to bike. I mean, to machine language, whereas the crack stuff is still Java, just kind of different. And yeah. I don't know where that's going to go. Yeah. And so one of the challenges that, you know, I've been talking about, you know, spring native over the past year, year and a half. And mm. really it's just an alternative for different workloads, right? Like the, the JVM is really good at optimizing in certain situations. If you have an application that is taking high throughput, lots of traffic all the time, always up, the JVM knows how to optimize for that. It's very mm. good at it. But if you're in a situation where I need to just start a JVM, take a request, and then I got to shut down in the case of like a serverless function, that is not, you know, the JVM doesn't want to optimize for that, right? So in that case, a, a native exec executable works great. And I think for certain workloads, it's really good. Um, and yes, there are 
there are pros and cons to that approach. There are benefits, trade-offs, like everything. But for me, the the build time doesn't really become an issue because mm. I'm not building the native executable on my local machine in my inner loop development, right? That's always something that I would do in a CI CD pipeline somewhere. Ah, okay. And I'll tell you, another use case that I've really enjoyed native executables in is building CLIs for myself. So if I build a CLI to do something that I might have done in Bash previously, right. I I can't write Bash. I don't I don't know Bash. So any even to do like a for loop, I have to go Google or Stack Overflow this thing, right? Or Chat GPT. Or Chat okay. GPT. So now I get to like write my CLIs, the tools that run on my machine in Java and Spring, compile it down to a native executable, and now I get that instant startup on my machine where I'm not waiting for a JVM to warm up, right? Yeah, I mean speaking of uh, putting it in more of a context for Spring. Spring, it's like the difference or one of the original differences between Bean Factory and application context. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who have come into Spring in the last, say, 10 years right. don't even know that there was a Bean Factory. And that's the way we used to write things because the, the basic idea was – uh, bean factories were used in desktop apps because they're lazy. They only create the beans that you ask for, and therefore they start up very, very quickly. And every time you ask for a new bean, then there's the minor delay. But yep. once we moved to the web and Java became the definitive language on the website, we moved to application context because they were eager. Because it's like, who cares if it takes an extra second to deploy it? The question is, how quickly does it respond to requests? And that's yeah. what application context was. So it's it's the same idea. Why do I need native if, as long as I'm responding to requests in sub 100 milliseconds, sub 10 milliseconds, what difference does it make? Yeah. Except unless, as you say, you're using function as a service and then it becomes a big deal. Yeah, I mean, uh, any well, and not just function as a service too. Really, anything cloud native, scale mm -hmm. to zero, CLIs. Again, there are certain workloads yeah. for it. But even coordinated restore checkpoint project crack, there's an implementation of that on the AWS side on AWS Lambda called Snapstart, which is similar to that. It's not the same, but Snapstart does the same thing. It You couldn't use Java in the serverless world forever because of that slow cold start time, right? And now what they do with Snapstart is you just check a box on that function and it will basically take a snap of that instead of having to start it up, it's ready to go. And now all of those problems go away. Way. So I just love that that Java as a whole spring, the ecosystem is kind of making this, you know, Java's always been a great language. There's no denying that. But it did have some shortcomings where other languages came in and said, we can do things better there. And I think Java as a whole now is is really well rounded. Like it, it it's versatile and, and you can use it for everything. Well, and that's that's what Gradle had to deal with that same problem because when they were yeah. trying to go, you know get their build times incredibly fast, that's when they introduced the daemon. And the yep. Gradle daemon was there just basically to keep the JVM warm <laughs> as yep. well. Same idea. And if you're doing, if you're like a major Silicon Valley company and doing, you know, 10,000 builds a day, shaving a quarter of a second off every build really adds up. But yep. if you're like, I don't know, like me at any rate, then I don't even notice it, but you run with the daemon on. But yes, Java is quite capable and, and it's as a mature language, it is not showing any signs of, 
you know, having problems or running out of steam. In right. fact, it's been I have been shocked at what a good steward Oracle has been for this thing. I, I yeah. expected a disaster from Oracle. I mean, you know, we're talking about Oracle here, you know. Right, right. And wow. and yet they've actually done fine and, and they have not undercut Spring in any way. I, I I never thought they'd be play nicely with others. I mean, that's the last thing I expected out of Oracle. Yeah, Oracle's been great, and we have a lot of friends at Oracle, so um, yeah. big, big, big fan of Oracle. Um, I wouldn't go okay. that far, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm well, a friend I'm a of big, my fans at I'm Oracle. A, yeah, I'm a big fan of the people over there at Oracle and yeah. everything that they're doing. So, um, okay, before we run out of time, I want to kind of come back to again. We talked about that you are an instructor. I know you uh, do some teaching on the O'Reilly platform. You have some courses. I know you do. Consulting right. over at Ken, uh, CousinIT.com, uh, yeah. some training. Uh, before we get into the books, how how did becoming an instructor, how did you get started becoming an instructor? Well, it's, it's funny. Like so many people in IT, I was a career changer. I was a research scientist. My goal had always been to be a professor. That's what I wanted to do. Well, that wasn't my original goal. My original goal was I wanted to join Starfleet. I mean, you know, like everybody <laughs> in my generation did. And sadly, that didn't look like it was going to work out. Uh, so my fallback was to, you know, to be a research scientist. And uh, unfortunately, when I was at grad school, my advisor didn't get tenure. So I got to see what the life of a, of a professor was like. And especially mm -hmm. when you weren't already tenured and everything, I got, mm, this isn't going to go. So yeah. I joined a research uh an industrial research lab. I was at United Technologies Research Center, and that's how I moved to Connecticut back in the, believe it or not, oh my goodness, uh, late <laughs> 80s, so a long time ago. And I was a research scientist for about 10, 12 years. I never really enjoyed it because all the problems were hard, and yep. a lot of it was begging for funds, and I always hated yep. begging for funds. I, I never liked that. How could I justify giving funds to me as opposed to somebody else, and, and that didn't work for me at all. Right. So I had a friend who ran an AI group over there in the late 90s, and I talked to him and I said, well, I've read about neural networks and genetic algorithms and all that stuff. And he said, well, come join me because back then he had trouble getting people to join his group, believe it or not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I joined his group and it took me about, oh, I don't know, two months of being in that group to realize that 10 to 15 years of coding in Fortran hadn't taught me anything about <laughs> software development. You know, So I went back to school at night to get a master's in computer science. And I, one day, and I, I actually remember the date, I was you know, only a few months away from finishing my, my degree, and I was sitting in class and I was annoyed. I was really annoyed because there were other members of my team who were going to go to a Java training class. They were going to go ramp up on Java. And I'm like, I already know Java, and I'm going to take the certification exam and all this stuff, and what are they doing that for and all this, and I'm annoyed. And suddenly a light bulb went off, and I went... <laughs> I wonder who teaches those classes. Yeah. I could do yeah. that. That might be fun. Then there's no right. homework to grade, you know, and <laughs> this could be really enjoyable. And yeah. when I made it back to work the next Monday, I went down to our HR department and said, who do we contact about training courses? And are there any companies that might be around? And, and one thing led to another. And I eventually awesome. uh, got hired by this tiny little 12-person training company. And my first course was in 
uh, the end of May in 2000. And it was an intro Java class. And back then we used to teach an intro Java class like every month, you know, we'd, yeah. we'd fill the room wow. uh, all the time. And yeah. everything I did grew from there. I was at the training company until 2005 and then went out on my own. Wow. Um, and I've been on my own ever since then. Uh, the first spring course, by the way, I was, uh, I happened to be in Philadelphia of all places. And I was teaching a class in spring and I'm, look back on it and I'm appalled at how I was teaching a class <laughs> spring with how little I understood, you know, but okay. But there was a spring user group in nice. Philly that was having, happened to have a presentation that night on grails. Wow. And I just walked down to the user group and that's how I started with groovy and grails and all that stuff right from that, that user group meeting. So you that's just awesome. never know where these things are going to kind of come from. That's a great point. Um, and that, and that's kind of really where I met you. I, I, when I was working for a company, we were using Groovy and Grails as our stack, uh, some Java in some certain places, but I had, I'd used Spring before that. And I just, I didn't like the XML configuration. Right. There was no Spring Boot starters. You had to like copy projects. It was, it took like days to get infrastructure up and running and Groovy <laughs> and Grails kind of solved that problem. It was less verbose. It was easy to get going with. And so I went to, um, I think I went to, uh, what was it? SGTX or something, 2X. Um, one of the groovy conferences. Oh, then, oh uh, sp spring two GX or something. Yeah, like something that. like yeah, that. And then spring one two GX, right? And then I got our boss to to send a bunch of us to spring one because yeah. you were going to be there. Oh. Bert Beckwith was going to be there. Graham, Graham all Roche, the groovy yeah. and Grails um, rock stars of the world. So <laughs> I wanted to go see you guys. And funny enough, that was 2015 when they first announced Spring Boot, and I right. and I sat through that keynote and I went, "Oh my God, this is like going to be awesome!" <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I, yeah, that's how I kind of got here. So. I mean, Grails was. Just built. It was a bunch of groovy DSLs built on top of Spring and Hibernate. Yeah, and yeah. that made me the target audience. I mean, I'm like, yeah. oh wow, you know, I, I want to do Spring. I kind of know Hibernate, and I'm still living off of what I learned, you know, yeah. via that indirect mechanism of really right. understanding a lot of what was going on in there. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember you being uh, very young and enthusiastic. Eager, <laughs> eager, yes. <laughs> but a lot of people were i mean a yeah. lot of people. it was it was a fun time uh it's a shame those conferences didn't last but i know spring and, one's still around and i feel like i've said this throughout my career but every community i've been in has been great and the groovy grails community was just awesome oh. i mean still is but yeah was awesome at the time yeah it's just much quieter there now you know yes. spring is where a lot more activity is and when people talk alternative languages on the jvm they talk kotlin or or yeah you know, they don't talk groovy as much. Scala. Yep. Yeah. Scala. I think Scala lost a lot of steam to Kotlin, frankly, but yeah, that's my yeah. opinion. No, I agree. Um, okay. So, so you're an instructor, you're going through, you're, you're teaching all kinds of different courses throughout the years. Was that just kind of an easy segue to writing a book? How, how did you wake up one day and decide oh, to write a book? Well, Especially you I'd said always, you just started doing that. Um, it's weird. I'd always wanted to write a book, but I never expected to write a technical book. Like when I hated my job back in the late eighties, early nineties. So this was not long <laughs> after I'd started my job there. Uh, I got this crazy idea that I was going to be a science fiction writer. And I joined a group of a bunch of other people. And as a team, we were, we wrote like 
tried to write a story a week kind of thing. Yeah. It was this thing called a dare to be bad challenge. You know, no matter Love how it. bad they are, just keep writing. This yeah. was, uh, there were a couple of authors who suggested this and I generated like 25 short stories, about two thirds of a novel. And they were all bad. Uh, I think I collected 120 rejection slips, something like that. But a couple of very minor sales that you can nice. actually find online, believe it or not, very minor. Um, but I, I realized that writing fiction was not really what I was interested. I liked having written, but I didn't like writing it that much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of stopped. And it was also using the same muscles I was using to do research. So that wasn't <laughs> good. It's going to cost me my job. But I'd always had an interest in it. Well, I started going to those no fluff conferences in the late 2000s on my own dime. And yeah. there were people there who were a lot of book authors. And one of them, I guess I should mention, you know, Scott Davis, right? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Love Scott Davis. He's from uh, written, like Denver, right? Him yeah. And ben, him and Boulder, I think. But yeah, or that, that area. That uh, area. He had written a book called Programming Groovy, and I got yeah. involved in being a tech editor for it. So oh, I was nice. a tech editor for like two or three books from there because tech editors get paid in, you know, contributor copies. So it's like yep. <laughs> they want all the, but that's partly how I learned it. And I, I got to know that stuff. And then Scott got involved in another book, which he wrote five pages and then kind of sat there for a year, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the publishing company was getting really annoyed. Oh boy. So the editor contacted me because I'd proposed books otherwise that hadn't gone anywhere. And he yeah. said, look, do you want to be a co-author with Scott? And I said, oh, I know Scott. Sure, I'll be happy to. Yeah. And Scott was fine with it. So I joined that book. And a year after that, I generated about, oh, I don't know, 100, 120 pages. And Scott still had those same <laughs> five pages. <laughs> so he turned the book over to me. And I took over and was about, oh, three quarters of the way done, maybe further than that, when O'Reilly did one of their periodic, like, we're going to get rid of a lot of books that are not going to do well. And they canceled the book, right like that. So I had to then repropose it at other places. And I went to Manning and proposed it. And that's when I renamed it Making Java Groovy. And oh, that's nice. where that's where it all started. I have that book. I was going to say author can Oh, you're the one. I got a, okay. I've got a few books back here of you, so. <laughs> yeah, so it all started then. I mean, it was uh I, I kind of blame Scott Davis indirectly. <laughs> uh man, I I hope to get I hope I can meet Scott one of these days cuz yeah, I haven't I haven't oh, he's heard from him in a while, wait. but I remember like watching all of his stuff on YouTube and his conference mm -hmm. talks. And he's just one of those like dynamic speakers that whenever he says something, you're listening to it, no matter what it is. So. Yeah. He was a rock star. I mean, a real one, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or I think it's Neil Ford who likes to say, when you get to be really well known in the speaker community, it's, it's everything like being a rock star without the money or the fame <laughs> or the, or the, the, um, well, the rock and roll too. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Venkat would be like uh, yeah, Venkat's a rock star. ACDC right. these days. <laughs> yeah, Josh Long. You know, same idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess, do you have any advice? So I've I'm kind of in the same camp as you. Mm. I've always been interested in writing a book, uh, maybe for the wrong reasons. Uh, I enjoy writing, and how cool would it be to have your name on a book? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. so those are kind of two of my reasons. I know you don't make 
a lot of money doing it, oh, but it leads to, but it, you know, it, it does help in other areas, right? Like kind of giving, making a name for yourself, pushing people towards other things that you're doing. Would you, would you have any advice for someone like me or anyone out there who's interested in writing a book? Cause I always hear from people like yourself who just say, don't do it. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I won't say don't do it. I will say, keep, uh, your perspective on why you're doing it yeah. because there for me one thing is I always wanted to do that anyway but that's not why you keep doing it another reason as you say is it's a membership card you know I, yeah. I think writing a book got me on the no fluff tour for example and right. it's cre it's credibility you know it gives you right. some credibility when you when you speak also as you say indirectly while if you go into a company as a consultant and your book's sitting on somebody's shelf, you, all your consulting rates just go up, you know, it's <laughs> automatically there. Uh, I usually express the, the, the uh, financial aspects of tech book writing as uh, if you buy one of my books, I can buy a cup of coffee, but not at Starbucks. Okay, so that's we're right, not talking right, high right, finance right, here. Right. Um, but the thing is, is that the major publishers like O'Reilly, as somebody mentioned, um, do they sponsor your existence while you're writing it? Some companies will sometimes give you an advance, but that's not very common anymore. And you don't even really want an advance because if you get an advance, it's not enough to make a life changing difference. Right. I mean, if you got a couple of thousand, that would be good. And then you have to earn the advance when the book comes out. You have to earn it out, as they say, you know, the royalties will, you won't get any royalty checks until it's paid for the advance. So I don't write any books with advances anymore. You write them on your own time, you plug away at it. I'd like to say, you know, it's at first, it feels like emptying the ocean with a teaspoon. But if you do a little <laughs> bit every day, 10, yeah. 20 minutes every day, yeah. after a while you look out there and it's a lake and then it's a mm. pond and finally yep. it's a puddle and you're 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 there. It there's they're always looking for people to write on current interesting topics. Yeah. And that's your chance. You know, uh, now these days, of course, you're competing against everybody in the world. But again, this is not a money making thing. And not a right. lot of people really want to do it. Right. If you have an idea and you're willing to to put in the time and effort and, and work with the good editors and things like that, then um, I mean, I've worked with Manning. I've worked with O'Reilly and my the current my last two books were with pragmatic programmers and I've been very happy with them. Of course, maybe I should say that cause I just published with them right now, but <laughs> I mean, you can't really go wrong with any. Right. So I've been very happy with those. So yeah, just put in a proposal of what you're interested in writing about and they'll cool. guide you through the process. Cool. All right. Well, um, I think I want to just touch on, uh, well, we got a few minutes left. Um, the title of this was How to Learn Spring. So I oh. wanted to just kind of talk to you uh, as a friend and kind of learn a little bit more about you. But I do got to give some people uh, something here on Spring. So sure. I wanted to talk to you. You are an instructor. You you teach a lot of Spring classes. What What do you talk to people on Spring about? Well, we always start with Spring Boot now. I don't know why anybody would make a Spring app without using Spring Boot. And then I talk about why that they're only separate projects because of history. You know, that yep. if they had to do over, I'm sure it would all be one project. And 
the way I always go at it is because the spring ecosystem is so large and so mm -hmm. powerful. I say, let's just pick some typical use cases. Let's make That's a great. simple web app. Let's make a really simple RESTful web service. Let's add persistence into this with some spring data or JDBC template. And yeah. then after you have something working, then I say, let's start talking about what's going on under the hood and how's dependency right. injection work. And let's get the application context hard, you know, auto auto wired in and list the beans and, you know, get a sense that way. So I always prefer the approach of let's get something working rather than talking about the theory, theory and yeah. then talk about it because developers want to see code. You know? Exactly. And I also make sure we do test cases for everything because Spring from day one was designed with that in mind. And yeah. that way you could show them unit tests and integration tests and, and mock MVC tests and functional yeah. tests, whatever you want. And again, right. it really helps you understand what's going on inside of Spring when you do that. That is an awesome answer. I completely oh. agree with that. You have to, you like you said, developers want to see code. So if you sit right. here and, and just theory, pound them with theory over and over yeah. and over again, they're, hey, show me the code. I want right. to see something. And what's dependency injection? Look, let's auto-wire it in and then we'll talk yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. And as you said, Spring, the, the Spring ecosystem is so massive. It has an answer for almost everything you're trying to build. If you if you sit someone down and go, I'm going to teach you everything about Spring, yeah. they're just going to get very confused and probably fail and move on to the next things. Now, I'm an old guy, so it's hard for me not <laughs> to say, by the way, here's Java EE. This is where it all started. <laughs> right. And it was Rod Johnson going, you know what? That's way too heavyweight. I can give programmatic, I can give declarative services to POJOs. I don't right. need a massive application server. And I always like bringing that up. It's just hard to resist when people are going like, look, I just want to make a RESTful web service and call right. it Angular. Let's, let's right. move on, you know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I have to bring in some of that background. Oh, yeah, right. the desktop question. It's not going to be Spring Boot Starter Swing. It'll be Spring Boot Starter JF, JFX, right? Mm -hmm. Java yeah. FX. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think desktop apps is a focus for, for any, for, it's for a shame, Spring, though. for Java. But yeah, I, I remember the swing days. You know, and, and I worked for a boot camp and we still like taught some swing stuff. Well, um, check, out, um, yeah, check out Paul and Gail Anderson. They yep. are like the gurus of Java FX. Yep. And they do a wonderful job with all that stuff. If you look for them and their presentations and their videos and everything, yeah, they'll really help you understand. And of course, that's all just as far as Spring's concerned, that's just a UI yep. in front of a and these days it'd probably be a restful web service in the back end yep. anyway. Yeah, and if you wanna if you wanna build UIs in Java, there's also at least in the Java space, Vaden's a really uh, right. cool project. Uh, they have one coming out of the same company called Hilla, which uh, is kind of building full stack applications no, no, no. with like React and Vue, and then Spring and Java on the back end. So. Um, I got another question here. Hey, I've been trying to implement server sent events for a bit, especially mm. integrating it in with Angular. Any advice, general or otherwise? I think you uh, know a lot more about that than I do. I haven't done much with server sent events yet. Yeah, you know, I haven't either, to be honest. Um, it's on my so list, no. though. I mean, I know it's important. <laughs> uh, that one in socket stuff, you know, which you also do. But no, yeah, if you if you can um, if you want to ping me offline and um, 
you know, kind of send me, or maybe if you have a repo that you could send us, uh, I can take a look at it and see if we can figure out what's going on. In general, I don't have any general advice on working with that. There were some um, demos and some apps that were based on that in the reactive literature. Like if you look at Project Reactor, they had a demo that yeah. did server sent events and reacted to the events coming in. They did a trading yeah. floor like everybody does. The problem is that that stuff's pretty dated at this point. Yeah, so yeah. It, it would need a significant update, and that's, yeah. that's the downside. And I would say what, what's the use case for what you're trying to do? Maybe there's a better approach to it. Yeah, or maybe an alternative anyway. <clears throat> so um, the, a lot of the – I guess my next question for you is you've, you, you've been around Spring a long time. We did an episode on Office Hours a couple of weeks ago on why Spring. What got you into Spring? Why do you continue to use it? Why do you continue to teach it? I got into it for the wrong reason. I got into it because it was getting popular and I needed to teach classes that were popular. Uh, I didn't like it when I first got in like you because I kept stumbling over Maven and, and figuring out what this – I didn't understand what dependency injection was doing. Why yeah. am I writing all this just to replace two lines of Java? I couldn't understand it. Yeah. Um, but as I got more into it – and again, my real path into spring was through Grails – then I started to see how it all worked together and how mm -hmm. it, it basically is all of your infrastructure. So mm -hmm. if you need that infrastructure, Spring is ideal. And if you don't need it, you wonder you're, you're cracking an egg with a sledgehammer. Why do this at all? <laughs> uh, and I continue to do it because it just keeps getting better and better. I, they streamline everything. They add in every possible capability. There's mm -hmm. so much to it. I still don't know. Uh, and learn. There's parts of it I don't like, not because it's spring, but because just security is so boring and frustrating. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I follow your videos for that. <laughs> but I, I've still, and, and of course, the, the other thing that's a benefit for me is there's still a huge demand for it. Yeah, I just sure. would like to teach a spring class in Kotlin more than once a, you know, once every other year or something. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any content on that? I would, I, I do. I've, yeah. been, I've been struggling like with should I learn Kotlin or not? Because again, like everybody, I have a list of 20 million things that I want to learn and where is it on my priority list? So. Well, I also was, I also taught Android and yeah. between Android going to Kotlin and Gradle introducing a Kotlin DSL, yeah. that was the clincher for me. It's like, okay, I got to go learn Kotlin. And right. That's what drove See, that, me in that way. That's the other problem though. I'm an, I'm an iPhone person. I'm in the Apple ecosystem, so I'm never going to write for Android just because I don't need to. So. Yeah, you and Nate will get along real well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> do. We do. We're going to be golfing next week he's in Vegas. He's sold his complete – he's sold his soul to Apple. I just – I'm convinced. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. I, it's funny you say that though about about things just where – I rem, you know, obviously you probably remember a time too. Just like getting – whether it's Java or Spring or Groovy Grails, whatever it is is just getting a project that you need up and running. Yeah. Like, here's what I'm trying to build. Here are all the bits that I need in this project. I just want it to start. I remember that headache of like, why isn't this starting? What isn't working? Like trying to figure that out. And all these demos I put together these days, and it's like I build this like cloud native application with all these like moving parts. And it just like the first time, it just like starts. It's just like, wow, this is really easy and not like the past. <laughs> yeah, Spring Boot 
revitalized spring. I mean, it was really getting to that point where it was big and, and creaky and lumbering and spring boot went, yeah, you know what? They learned from grails. They learned from all the other major frameworks coming on. Let's mm-hmm. streamline this all down so you can get up to, up to date or uh, running up to speed very, very quickly. Yep. That really helped a lot of beginners, especially. Yeah, and I think that, and I know you've talked about this a lot too, but that and just Java's kind of big turn around Java 8 and the change yeah. to a six-month cadence has right. really just like, I mean, Java wasn't going anywhere, but it was kind of stagnant for a while. And it's just Oh, like, yeah, while Sun was struggling for all those years, yeah. Yeah, and that cadence change, man, and, and like you said, what Oracle's done with it is just those two things i mean it's been great and the one thing i know is that when 21 comes out in september yeah i'll wait about a week before the spring initializer the spring boot initializer (laughs) say oh yeah we support 21 i mean yeah yeah no we we've already then you wait another week and then intellij will support it and then i can there you go yeah (laughs) yeah we we have um so spring framework 6.1 is coming out later this year uh, Spring Boot 3.2, they will support um, JDK 21, and we have support right. for um, virtual threads and everything coming with Project Loom. So, Are they going to announce exciting. all that next week at your conference? Uh, we've already talked about it publicly. Yeah, I mean, it's coming later this week. But, yeah, we'll have some demos around that next week for sure. I so wish cool. I could be there, but, you know. Uh, I know. I wish you could too. I, I wish, we finally I'll watch got to your see each, We finally got to see each other at DevOps uh, yep. after a long hiatus because of uh, COVID and not traveling. And uh, yeah, that was awesome. So hopefully, get we'll get to, to do it again soon. So cool. Um, let me just see if we have any more questions before we get out of here. I did see. Uh, I know I'm pretty big. Have you ever used CLI tools like JHipster? I was a big fan of JHipster. I haven't used it lately just because I haven't had a need, but I did a course on Angular and JHipster um, a while back, and yeah, JHipster is a great tool. It's also a really good learning tool. So we talked Mm -hmm. about how to learn things. If you have this like large, complicated stack that you need to like put together, JHipster is doing like the front end, the back end, security, REST, login, like all that stuff. It's generating that if for nothing else you know generate a project like that and see what the code see the code that's being generated for you i i learned a lot from tools like that on on like how to put that stuff together so yeah and then don't underrate the power of those spring guides as well which are nice self-contained projects that a beginner can do and get a reasonable architecture out of it and understand what's going on Cool. One more question. How to choose AWS Lambda with Spring Cloud Function versus AWS Spring Boot Wrapper via Handler? I'm not sure on the question. Um, again, AWS well, Lambda, there is a, you can use Spring Cloud Function to basically um, publish a function there. Or, oh, the AWS Spring Boot Wrapper. Yeah. So right. you could also just create a whole REST API and publish that to AWS Lambda. It really depends on your, your use case, right? Like if you just have a single function, you need to stand up, obviously that'll work. If you have an, a whole REST API that is not going to be up all the time running, taking large throughput, uh, we talked about it earlier, that's a great use case for something like serverless. If it doesn't need to be up all the time, why pay for it to be up all the time? Yeah, and a lot of it is how much state does it need to retain? Because exactly. if, if you need to keep that stuff in memory, then you, you can't do function as a service. I mean, yep. they, oh, wait a minute. I heard a stateless services joke. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, you say something like, "I think all services should be stateless," and I go, "Really? Why do you think that?" And then you reply, "Why do I think what?" 
<laughs> All right. I think you need to write two books now. Um, one, science fiction, because when you told me that, I said, yeah, that makes sense. You could be a science fiction author. Oh, and yeah. two, definitely a dad joke author. I could see you writing a book like that. Oh, I don't come up with these. I just collect them. <laughs> I mean, you can just say these are not my originals, but here's a book of jokes. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we'll end it there. Um, Ken, uh, always good chatting with you. Uh, we could, like we said before the show, we could probably sit here and chat about nothing for a few hours without even oh, yeah. trying. So um, I appreciate it. It was great hearing about you. Um, if if the folks want to get in touch with you, uh, if they want to consume one of the many, many avenues of content you have out there, how can folks find you? Well, let me put my email address in the chat here. It's Ken.cousin at CousinIT.com. I call my company Cousin IT. My wife calls it Cousin It. You know, <laughs> it's her idea. I already put in the link to the um, the YouTube channel. And, well, I'll put it in again. What the heck? I've got to. And I have, your, I have your YouTube channel, your Twitter, your website oh, on the show notes for this. Uh, I spend more time on Mastodon than I do on Twitter. And I'm on Blue Sky I'm not that hard to find because there aren't that many people with my last name spelling. So that helps. There you go. Cool. Well, like I said, Ken, I appreciate it. Great talking to you as always for everyone else. Uh, next week is spring one. I hope to see you there. And with that, uh, we will see you in that live episode. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks for coming.